Hi, welcome to the Accidental Marketer podcast. I'm Mary Abazia, and I'm joined by Tom Spitali, who is my partner and co-author of The Accidental Marketer, and Sean Wellam, who heads up our European operation for the consulting firm Impact Planning Group. Um, hey, Tom. Hey, Sean. Hello. Hey, Mary. Hi hey, there, Tom. guys. So, um, so we have a bunch of accidental marketers with us, or if they're not accidental marketers, um, someone that uh, that works with you is possibly an accidental marketer. So, this uh, this is a deeper dive into our book, the Accidental Marketer, and we're focused today on Chapter Nine. And um, the question is, it, or the the title of it is, a positioning statement is a terrible thing to waste. A positioning statement is a terrible thing to waste. And um, I, what I like about this chapter is it takes art and science to make this come alive. So Sean, can you describe what is positioning? Yeah, positioning is the uh, the thing that goes on inside your customer's head, you know, whether you like it or not. Um, it's the perception and the beliefs that spring to mind when they encounter your product, either hear about it or see it or use it. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's the very definition of what your product or service means to the customer. It's not what the product does. It's not what it's made of. It's what it means in the mind of the customer. And of course, it varies between customers and certainly between segments but it's one of those things that even if you spent no time investing in positioning or developing what you wanted your positioning to be um you still have one you know it's a gift everyone who deals with someone every one of your customers you you have a position that exists in their mind and the first step of course is understanding it and then deciding if you like it and if you want to start to move it but it's uh it's it's a reality yeah, yeah. One of our our opening questions often um, when we're working with groups is, if you don't position yourself, who does? You know, and that could be a very smart competitor, which, to your point, positions you right into a corner of the brain that um, may not be pleasant, or the customer, and they're not going to work too hard to to figure out what you want them to think. So, it is very, very, very powerful. Tom, um, in sessions. Um, Clients have gotten mad sometimes when when you tell them to when you oh you're the one that always is the bad guy you tell them to <laughs> try it again uh, when they're positioning. Can you talk about what happens in this situation? Yeah, Mary, in the workshop you always seem to disappear at that time. I'm not crazy. I'm going to get <laughs> yeah. tea or something. No, it's it, it's it, it's the you know it's it, it can be bad news, but what happens is in most cases, as Sean and Mary just described. The positioning that is existing in customers' head is suboptimal. <laughs> Either competitors have planted it, or they've decided, you know, what they believe about you, and you want to change that. And 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 so we lead uh, teams through a process of creating and crafting a positioning statement, and they they build one, and it's hard work, and they 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 are excited when they when they get to the end of it. Um, but there's an unfortunate thing that makes them really mad, but nonetheless you know, is, is a reality. And that is, if a customer or a market has a certain competitor that they associate a particular position with, and your positioning looks very similar or identical to that competitor's, you have to try again. 
because the hardest thing to do is to dislodge from that person's brain what they think about your competitor. And you just sound like you're trying to outshout the competitor versus trying to find something new and unique to position yourself on, and it just won't work. And so often, you know, we have the unenviable task of saying to somebody that's just drawn up a positioning statement, could you cross out your name and write in the competitor's name? Mary calls it the scratch and sniff, the, <laughs> the scratch out, <laughs> write in test. And then when they do that, they say, yeah, a competitor could say the same thing. When we say you have to try again, and they get mad, but they do it because they realize that anything worth doing is worth doing well. Yeah, when, and the only thing worse than not doing it very well is actually not doing it. And uh, what I've seen in, in a lot of different companies, um, sometimes pharma, medical devices, where, where they're lucky enough to have an agency that or creative group that takes all of the strategy that they've been working on and um, and moves it to making it come alive. Well, this positioning statement is a one-pager that takes all of your strategy and describes the target audience and your point of difference, all of the strategic things, and says, this is what we want. Now, if you don't have that, or you just say, okay, why don't you guys, you know, somebody that hasn't been part of the strategy, why don't you guys write the positioning statement and then go do the creative? It disconnects. So you end up, missing the whole value of all the work that you've done. So I think the positioning statement for me and what I've seen is it's a bridge to to connect strategy with all of the executional things that are critical. Sean, do you see it the same or what do you see? Yeah, you know, I I, I couldn't agree more. I um I once worked with a an agency, an advertising agency, and they produced this um this guide for their clients and it was called um it was called something like creating perfect briefs. The one um, complaint that most ad agencies have is that their clients don't brief them well enough as to what it is they're trying to do. They 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 pretty much say, "Give me some more customers," or "Give me some more um, Facebook likes," or whatever the current currency is. And in that guide, that that creating perfect briefs or better briefs or whatever it was, essentially was was saying, "Give us a positioning statement." You know, it comes down to that. We often say in the classroom that we don't expect people to be creative copywriters and, and advertising experts. That's the sort of thing that you you outsource. But if you can get to that positioning and saying, we want to mean this to these people and give that to your creative team, they'll shake you warmly by the hand because that's just one of their biggest uh, downsides is that is that people know what outcome they want, but they don't know what it is they want to represent about themselves so it's the perfect handoff point where the the strategic blends into the creative and the executional and the communication and the messaging you know and it's getting that consistency across the the business and by the way that's internal as well as external it's not just a customer thing your position positioning statement should be completely understood by every team member every employee every member of staff should 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 get it to and agree with it. That's a great point. Tom, do you want to add to that? Well, I think th th that we we focus when we think about a you know a good positioning statement, um, we, we focus on three aspects of a positioning statement that it has to hit. It's got to be unique and we already talked about that, right? It's got to be something that you want to own in the mind of 
the customer that is not already owned by something somebody else. So, you know, there's uniqueness there. But the other parts of it too, of, of creating a strong and, and uh, lasting positioning, are important and believable. I think importance always um, something that's interesting to think about because so many people will say to you. I saw this great commercial last night, and of course, commercial was one ex uh, commercial was one executional element of of, of a strong positioning um, communication strategy, right? It should the positioning should come out in in a commercial, and people say all the time, I "Saw this great commercial last night," and they describe the commercial, and then they say, "What was the product?" <laughs> and or, or or who was the company? And they say, "I don't remember." Mm -hmm. And if if you kind of peel that back a little bit, you start to realize that they weren't in the market for the product. The product itself wasn't important to them. Yeah. And so you don't, you know, you don't remember things uh, that you see that aren't important to you, even if they're cute or they're funny. And, and, and a related aspect of that is the positioning message must hit on a really important benefit sought by the target market. Mm, that's good. You know, um, I'm from California, and one of my favorite examples of bad positioning or repositioning is um, the dried uh, prunes. And uh, the prune board was had declining sales for years, and everyone looked at it and said, we are so in trouble. And Finally, they, they did some research and they realized that prunes, obvious, for many obvious reasons, people didn't want to admit they were taking prunes and so it just had so many connotations with it. And when they started testing dried plums, it was like, oh, it, it opened up a whole new health image and people weren't as embarrassed to say, oh, I have some dried plums right here, even though it's the same thing. And um, so once they <laughs> renamed it, repositioned it in the minds of people, um, dried, the dried plums started taking off in terms of sales. The ironic thing is it took them a couple more years to finally rename the, you know, provided by the prune board. <laughs> you needed to still change that part of it too. So to your point, Tom, Sean, you said internally, the internal group needed to say, yeah, you know, it's as important internal as it is external. But you, you just reminded me with that comment, Mary, that the um, somebody once said to me that if you didn't understand marketing, you 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 would have called sushi cold, raw, dead fish. <laughs> Sometimes the name is important for positioning as well. It does help. Yeah. Is that the dried plum board now? I think they finally got to the dried plum board. You can definitely buy yeah. the dried plums, but the, the prune board was, uh, you know. <laughs> do, do you want to, you know what, wanna, you made me think of something. You both made me think of something that was uh, one of the, my favorite um, positioning stories ever. Um, was Holiday Inn Express. And it is actually a B2B story because Holiday Inn Express was really, when they first came on the market, was trying to win over um, business travelers and price-conscious business travelers. They were coming into the market with like a, 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 low end, a lower end offer. It wasn't a premium hotel, right? And they did some research and they realized that all of the budget hotels were talking about low price, low price, low price, stay here, you save money. And that was owned by other people in the marketplace. And then they, they created some insight into the minds of the, the budget business traveler and they figured out that those people 
are budget conscious, price conscious, because they don't want to feel stupid that they paid too high of a price to stay somewhere. So they came up with the positioning of stay smart. You guys remember that? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. it was extremely uh, effective in appealing to the emotions of the price conscious business traveler. It's a great uh, positioning story. Yeah, and it they was, continue to be successful today, by the way. What I love about that, too, is, is it does link to pricing. You know, this, this if you get positioning right, it gives you pricing power. If you get it wrong, you trap yourself. So there's a lot of things about positioning if, if you can. Is there anything, Sean, that you think is, is key to making sure to getting this right? You know, it's it's keep it simple and and don't have too many you know i mentioned earlier that some customers will perceive you differently which is really goes to the 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 essence of segmentation but your positioning really should be a a, a north star it should be universal it should be broad enough appeal to to cover uh, the majority of what you do so i think simplicity is key rather than thinking who we're we trying to be to these people and who we're we trying to be you know i think it helps when you've got a broad footprint and that's one thing that that um i encourage people not to do is to come up with three or four different positioning statements um uh, it's just so hard to get consistency mm -hmm. tom I'm, I'm curious too tom when you're when you were talking about it can, um can you not uh, talk about the keys to it but also how it's a cousin to branding yeah um well i think I, first uh, the keys to it i'd like to add on the word perseverance you know hearkening back to what we started this conversation with why people get mad is because they they come up with one and they want to they want to run with it and you 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 do need to come up with a couple alternatives and and, and really test the test them with uh with customers to make sure that indeed uh the position is is unique but um, I think that's a really good point, Tom, though, just to really emphasize that, that this is we, a lot of the tools that we use are, are iterative. We talk about that a lot. You know, if you don't like it, go back, change it, add something. What would what would what would this mean if you added this benefit and so on and so forth? But positioning is one of those things where its strength comes from its permanence and laying down those deep memory layers of what you mean to the customers. Um and and it's a pretty much uh, it's like getting a tattoo, you know. It don't wash off, <laughs> and you've got to be fairly you've got to be fairly sure that you you still want to be rocking that that uh, Foo Fighters tattoo when you're 63 or something. You know, you've you've got to you've got to take the long term view on this stuff. It's something that requires a little bit of forethought and shouldn't be done too much of a of a whim. Yeah, it sounded personal, but <laughs> but you know, no. To your point, though, I think that w one of our favorite examples is that people that that love Harley Davidsons, they do get the tattoos and they are very proud of them. And so our joke is, does your customer love you well enough to put your brand on their body? <laughs> Maybe with yeah, clothing, that's a commitment. But, you know, right with a tattoo would be even more cool. So, Tom, a little bit about branding and how it relates to this. Uh, yeah, I think that the brand, the branding or the brand is really um, an overarching positioning statement, if you will. Sean said you you may have some slight variations of a positioning statement for different segments, right? Um, but really, there's a common thread or a common theme that unifies all of those positioning statements, even in their you know, there's slight differences to different segments. And, and that is really, in essence, the, the essence of the brand. 
And um, so it's, it's important to have sort of this umbrella branding or umbrella positioning statement that represents what is unique, what is important, what is believable about your brand that then can, you know, be varied slightly in the actual communications to different segments at different mm-hmm. times. Yeah, that's good. Sean, I had mentioned up front that um, I believe that a, doing a positioning statement takes both art and science. Um, do you share that belief? And if so, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it's the art comes from creating that that memorability. You know, anything that you're trying to plant into somebody else's mind to be representative of you. You know, we we know from studies that have been done that the richer, the more tangible, the more storyfied something is, the more memorable it becomes, the more triggers you have for it, a particular color, a smell, and so forth. We, we, you know, we know a little bit about how memory patterns are laid down. So you want to make it a very rich, creative experience. And of course, that's also where the science comes from. Because if you don't have something that's, that's memorable, if you don't have a, a, and it can be a phrase, you know, a slogan, whatever expresses that positioning that you want to get to. And of course, we're getting close to the branding side now. But you need to understand how those memories are recalled which is i guess the science bit but then adding those creative layers to make it rich and meaningful is where the the creativity comes down so it is the perfect blend of of art and science because it needs to be you know tangible and 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 meaningful and memorable Mm -hmm. good 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 um so i we're going to close this out i do have one fun fact on chinese gooseberries they actually did change their name to kiwi so um, people are more likely to eat a kiwi than a Chinese gooseberry, probably. <laughs> hey, hey, Mary, you, you accused me on a, on a recent podcast of being the, the <laughs> trivia guy. So I, I can't resist but share with you that during the Second World War, um, pilchards were a small fish that were plentiful and they were used as a protein source. And everyone got fed up. It was austerity food. It was rationing food. Um, after the war, they weren't very popular for obvious reasons. And they, they rebranded them as sardines. <laughs> which is the name they're given in Italy, where you think about a, 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 a nice barbecue outside, glass of Chianti, Sardi. It's the same fish. A biologist wouldn't recognize the difference, but they renamed the whole fish to say, no, you don't have to eat pilchers anymore because they're <laughs> like wartime food. Try some sardines, madam. Yeah. And it was like, oh, that sounds, that reminds me of my, my holiday on the Amalfi Coast. <laughs> but there you go. Now I'm really hungry. Oh, man. Okay. We hope that you... <laughs> it's all about fish as well. <laughs> it's all about food. We um, really hope that you've enjoyed this podcast, and we look forward to having you join us on future podcasts. Thank you.